This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of All Things Considered CX. I'm your host, Bob Asman, the founder of Innovative CX Solutions, a past chairperson of the CXPA, and a practitioner with many years of transforming global operations and designing better customer experiences. Together with our guests and listeners, we seek to discuss, challenge, and create new understanding about how to inspire better experiences in response to ever-changing customer expectations. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the All Things Considered CX podcast. I'm your host, Bob Asman, and we're very happy to have you back for uh, another podcast. And we've got a great guest today, a, a friend of mine, a colleague of mine. Uh, we go back a number of years, and uh, she is indeed an expert in the field. And I'm really pleased to welcome uh, Annette Franz to our podcast. Annette, welcome to the podcast. And please uh, introduce yourself to our guest that may not know who you are. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Bob. Thank you for having me. Um, I am, as you said, Annette Franz, I am founder and CEO of CX Journey, Inc. I'm a a coach, a consultant, um, an author, a keynote speaker. We do a little bit, do a little bit of everything, dabble, dabble in a few things here and there. So yeah, having a good time with it. Oh, that's great. And, and Annette and I spent a number of years um, at the CXPA working together, and we got to know one another quite well during the, that time frame. Now, oh, Annette, yeah. I, I don't think anybody wakes up when they're a teenager or when they're in grade school and says, I want to be a customer experience professional when I grow up. So tell our guests a little bit about your career journey, your path. How did you get to do all those things that you just mentioned in your introduction? Well, I appreciate that you said grade school because, you know, I've been in this profession for 30 years and I always say that I started when I was four. So, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, perfect. We didn't, we didn't prep that. So (laughs) I know, right. (laughs) So thank you for that. Uh, You know, I grew, I grew up on a farm in Ohio and my dream job was to be a veterinarian And uh, about three years into uh, my time at Ohio State, I discovered that, well, gosh, I need six quarters of chemistry. Well, I probably discovered a little bit earlier than that, but I need six quarters of chemistry to get into vet school. And I, chemistry is my kryptonite, that's for sure. So So that wasn't going to happen. So I switched gears. And about that time, I moved out here to Southern California And um, this is where I'm really going to age or date myself, right? I was looking for a job and I was looking in the newspaper and uh, saw an ad for um, J.D. Pound Associates. And, you know, second only to my love of animals is my love of writing and math, which is most people would cringe at that, but this is true. (laughs) So I said, um, wow, being market research, that's, you know, that's obviously a combination of both of those things, math and math and writing. So started working at J.D. Power and Associates, and I just loved working with businesses to listen to customers. And and I was on the J.D. Power and Associates, obviously known for their syndicated research, but I was on the custom research side and um, just loved working with businesses to listen to their customers, figure out what was going well, what wasn't, and how do we ultimately improve Back then, it wasn't even called customer experience. We talked about customer satisfaction and loyalty, but um, 
um, how do we, how do we improve satisfaction? How do we improve loyalty? And, and, uh, you know, ultimately that means great things for the business too. So that's, that's where it started. And, uh, you know, from there I had stints at, you know, four of the top VOC platform vendors. I've been on the client side three times with Mattel, Fidelity Investments, and a startup called Compellin. Yeah. And, and uh, five years ago, I jumped out of that world and started CX Journey Inc. And, and that's pretty much the story of my career right there. So, but, but it was just that love at the er, in the early stages, that love of like really helping businesses to improve the experience so that, that they could, you know, everybody had great outcomes, obviously. I don't know that we articulated it that way back then, but that's what it was. Mm -hmm. I I just love when I ask that question of my guests, because there's always this great tidbit that comes out. And in your case, it's the veterinarian uh, (laughs) desire. It's just, there's always something that surprises us. And I, I was smiling when you're talking about the chemistry. I could never do the chemistry of the biology. Um, Uh. No, thank you. Yeah, <clears throat> Not interested right? in that, right? <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, so, Annette, um, we're here to talk about your second book. But before we jump into that, what are your thoughts on where we are at in the world of experience these days? You know, the pandemic, supply chain, war in the Ukraine. What, what are your, where do you think we're at from your view and your expertise? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's a great question. You know, I think it's, I think it's been kind of up and down, especially these last two years. You know, I think there was a time when, um, before, like right around the time when the pandemic hit that, you know, everybody said, Oh, you know, let's, let's let go of the CX professionals. Let's move them over into some other real, real work, doing real work, (laughs) (laughs) you know, those kinds of things, or let's just, you know, whatever. So repurpose them somehow. And then pretty quickly, and maybe it was the toilet paper thing, I don't know, but pretty quickly, every business was like, we need insights about our customers. What are they doing? Why are they buying? What's going on? What's, what are they thinking? You know, and, and so all of that turned around pretty quickly. And I, my hope is that that stays um, and, and that there was this appreciation for customer insights and, and the importance of the customer and focusing on the customer, but then also employee experience and really making sure that they have a great experience. And obviously that's been sort of exacerbated or, or amplified over the last year or so with the great resignation. So, but, but it's been up and down. It's not consistent, you know, not from brand to brand, certainly, and not from year to year either, you know, I, uh, working, you know, as a customer, just as a customer using some of these um, businesses and, you know, buying or, or, you know, researching or whatever, it's not been consistent. You know, one week I'm like, gosh, I love this brand. This is awesome. I've had a great experience. And then two weeks later, they changed their website. And all of a sudden it's like, what happened? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> I thought, I thought they got us, you know, I thought they get it. And mm-hmm. so that's been, to me, that's been sort of the biggest thing is that, is that, it's, we saw sort of this epiphany and then it just kind of, I think for some, it just kind of fizzled out over time. That's interesting. What do you think? What do you think? What have you seen? Um, I, I have seen a lot of frustration with customers, especially as we came into maybe late 2020, early 21 with organizations, frustrated with organizations that didn't recover fast enough or didn't address the pandemic and and even to this day are using the pandemic as an excuse for bad service. And, and I see customers kind of at early 
stages were very tolerant, but then they lost their patience. And like you said, the great resignation, the labor shortages, again, customers had some patience, but I think it's wearing a little thin. I I would agree with you totally. You know, I just, um, every time I start working with a new client, I always do executive interviews and some employee interviews and some customer interviews. And the last two new clients that I've been working with, I've actually, (laughs) I've actually had to put into the report to the executives that you have to stop using the pandemic as an excuse for everything. (laughs) Because that's what I'm hearing. Oh, well, the pandemic, that's why we don't have a good culture. Oh, the pandemic, that's why we have a bad employee experience. Oh, and like everything, you know, and it's like, no, (laughs) two years later, if you haven't figured it out yet, that's a problem, you know, so I agree with you on that. Yeah, very good point. And and Annette, you've mentioned um, employee experience, and you mentioned culture, and you've written a lot about both. You've written a lot about leadership. Um, as well. You know, talk to us a little bit about what your view is on the great resignation and the employee experience, what's happening there. We haven't talked a lot about that. Yeah, that's a, I think that's a hot topic. You know, it's so funny because, you know, we we went back 30 years when I was at JD Power and Associates, but back then, even back then I was telling companies, it's great that you're listening to customers, but you've got to listen to employees too. And they would say, Oh no, let's just, let's just focus on customers. Now we'll focus on employees later. Well, guess what? (laughs) It's later, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and it's, and it's come to bite you in the butt, sadly, you know, kind of thing. So, so no, I, you know, it really is. There's there. It's interesting because the, during the pandemic, you know, suddenly some employees were deemed essential. And it just seemed really odd that only some employees were deemed essential. Like every employee is deemed essential. How are you going to stay in business if you don't have employees who are making your products and servicing your customers and selling your product and all of that, right? So um, I think there's a huge issue with leadership that just doesn't care about people. And there's always a a CEO that I bring up um, when I talk about leadership and who cares and who's doing a great job. There's um, Bob Chapman with Barry Waymiller in St. Louis. I cannot talk about him enough, right? Um, He had sort of this epiphany probably about 10, 12 years ago where he said, gosh, you know, we have employees in our care, eight, 10, 12 hours a day. They come to us with a certain mindset, with a certain attitude, with it, they're happier, they're whatever they are. And then at the end of the day, they leave drained and frustrated and, you know, all of this. And he's like, and his, the whole thing was, why don't we do a better job of taking care of our employees and truly caring about them so that when they leave at the end of the day, they don't take those, you know, there's sort of this whole chain of events that was happening where, you know, they leave frustrated, they go home, they take it out on their spouse and take it out on their kids. And so divorce rates and blah, blah, blah. Right. And he was like, well, let's, let's shift the thinking on that and let's do better. And at the end of the day, they go home better, if not as good as, but maybe better than when they arrived this morning rather than sending them home burned out and frustrated all that. So that's been his, and he actually had connected with Simon Sinek back in the day and they developed a leadership Institute. I've, I've uh, taken a class through that Institute. It's, it's just an, it's fabulous, his thinking and his thought process and how he actually implements it every day within the organization. So I feel like we need more leaders like Bob um, to, to turn the tables around. Mm-hmm. No question about that. And, and thanks for sharing that story. The, the question that comes to my mind, too, is what's, why don't we, Annette? Why don't we have more leaders like Bob? What's yeah. the problem? Yeah, it's, and that's a fair question. And you know what? I, he's such, he, he truly 
walks the walk, talks the talk, walks the walk. I had been working with a client uh, about three years ago. And I've, and it's funny because I met him originally when I listened to his Ted talk, I wrote about it. He actually reached out to me through my blog and said, Hey, I'd love to chat with you. And we, that's how I got to learn a little bit more about him and Simon Sinek and the leadership Institute. So he's over the years, he's, you know, we've kept in touch and I've reached out to him if I needed some advice or whatever. And so I had a client where I was really struggling. I said, you know, I just don't feel like this leadership team They're they're I, I don't know what's going on. And, and let's start with the CEO. Why doesn't he care about his people? And it was really <laughs> it seems so simple, but it's really eye opening. He said in that we can't make people care if they don't care. They don't care. And we cannot force people to care. And I thought, wow, you're right. But that's sad. <laughs> it's really <laughs> sad, you know, Um yeah. So I, I, I don't know wh- why they don't care. Um, I, bad upbringing, I guess. I don't know, but you would think that, <laughs> right. <laughs> you, right. I mean, it's got to go back to your childhood or something. I don't know. It must, but, it must. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we're like, this, this is the, I think this is the frustration with all of us as CX professionals, right? Where we say, you know, this whole thing is human to human and we have to care about humans and we have to look at the emotions and empathy and all of that. And yet, and yet it just doesn't, not everybody's got it. Right. So yeah, it's a fair question. I don't know that I had the answer, but it was really enlightening from Bob Chapman for him to say, we can't, we can't force people to care. We can't make them care. So right. So, Annette, we often hear it, customer experience professionals talk about the need to have sponsorship at the top in order to be successful. And yet you could run into a CEO like you're, you know, this, mm-hmm. this generic CEO that doesn't care. What's your view on that? Is that a, is that a requirement of any successful execution of a, of a improvement of improving customer experience? Or what are your thoughts there? Yeah, definitely. It, it really is. And you know, it's, it's funny because now we're sort of tech going into the territory of, of my latest book. And that's actually the second principle in the book is that we have to have leadership commitment and alignment. And that's critical to success. If they're not committed to the work that lies ahead, you're not going to get the resources, the time, the financial, the human, the capital, whatever resources you need to, or you might get them begrudgingly or one department might get them, but not the other, you know, or whatever it is. And so it may, either way, it doesn't make for a great experience for anybody. Right. And if, if the entire executive team isn't aligned, um, it makes for a doesn't, well, it doesn't make for a seamless experience across the board. Right. So again, it's very frustrating for employees and it's frustrating for customers because it feels like they're, they're interacting with, you know, five different companies if they're touching on five different departments or channels or whatever. And so, so yeah, I, I absolutely, I've seen it. I've, I've seen it in the organizations that I've worked for and worked with that it's critical that the CEO is, is in on it. <laughs> if he is not, it's going to be, it's going to be rough going. And a lot of times, you know, I work with an, I think back to an insurance company that I worked with years ago and you know, sometimes you just have to bring them along and build the business case. And whether that's, we've done that through journey mapping workshops, bringing them in and letting them see how miserable they've made their customers and where they're losing customers and why they're losing customers. We've done it through, you know, voice of the customer and just bringing that voice in. We've done it through immersion programs where we take the executives out, sort of an undercover boss kind of thing, where we take the executives out and live the life of either the employee or the customer. Usually those are the kinds of things that turn them around and go, oh, 
Yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if it doesn't turn you around, then you, you're a problem. And it's funny. I had written years ago that sometimes, sometimes we just need new leaders. <laughs> well, right. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, some, what, what's that saying? I've seen the enemy and it is me or something yes. like that. Right. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes we have to help leaders realize it's them. Yep. Um, yeah. So that's a great lead in. Uh, let's spend some time now talking about your newest book, but also maybe, um, as a precursor to that, talk about your first book and in, in case some of our listeners haven't read or seen that book, and then let's talk about the latest book. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So the first book is Customer Understanding, right? It's it's about the three ways to put the customer and customer experience and at the heart of your business. And those three ways are, you know, listen, characterize, and empathize. And and listen is about feedback and data, characterizes about you know, doing the work, doing the research to develop personas and really get into the head and heart of your customers. And then the third one is empathize, which is all about the journey mapping process. So, so that book was a fun one to write because it really was a culmination of my career to that point, right? Everything that I'd ever done for the 20 some year, 25, 26, 27 years prior to that, um, I was able to, you know, get a chunk of it out of my head and into a book. So that was, that was a, that was a good one to write. And I think it's, you know, it's done really well. People really appreciate it. I've got tons of people telling me, Hey, it's just a guide here next to my, next to my computer that I refer to if I need to, you know, know how to do something or have a question or whatever. So, so that was, yeah, that one's done really well. Excellent. And now you've written built to win, which is uh, I'm pre-ordering releasing towards the end of March. Tell us about that book. Yeah, so that one had come about, you know, I obviously it came about through my work as well. And especially once I started, you know, consulting on my own, once I had um, started CX Journey, um, really a lot of the sort of getting in the weeds and really seeing what's happening within the organization, not just in one department or another, but across the board and and that exposure to the CEO and the, and the executive team and the conversations that we've had, you know, I, interestingly enough, I had been doing a presentation for a couple of years called, um, it was, you know, something along the lines of the eight, eight principles of it, or eight tenets of a customer centric culture. And so the last time I did that presentation last year or an early last year, um, I thought, you know, that's the topic for my next book. That's the topic. And ironically, just a couple of weeks later, um, someone from Advantage Forbes Books reached out to me and said, hey, we'd love to publish your next book. Do you know what it's going to be? <laughs> 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 like, oh, funny that you ask, you know, so, so um, yeah. And, you know, within weeks we had signed the contract and I had 122 days to write that book. And, um, it, you know, it, it's, it, it really is, it, it is those eight principles. But then as I was writing, I was like, you know, there's two more and I need to add those two. As a matter of fact, I only submitted the manuscript at the end of September with nine. And about 10 days later, I woke up in a sweat going, oh my gosh, how can I leave, how can I leave that one out of the book? What was I thinking? <laughs> so if you read the book, you will know because I start the chapter for that principle with exactly that story, basically waking up in a sweat going, oh, what have I done? <laughs> But they were, they, uh, obviously they took the chapter in and uh, delayed us a little bit, which is why we're not getting out there until late March. We were originally shooting for February, but you know what, it, it worked out. It belongs in there. So. Mm -hmm. And now a a couple of things that you said kind of intrigued me. You wrote this book in 122 days. 
I did. Yes. Oh my gosh, Annette, were was were you seen during that 122 days? <laughs> I had to go. Well, yeah. As a matter of fact, you know what's so funny is I actually had, I had, I took more time off last year than I've ever taken in my entire 30 years. I swear, I never. I'm a workaholic, so I never take time off. And I have this amazing boyfriend who loves to get away once a month for four day weekends and stuff. And it, I think it just made me a more productive person too. So I ended up, I actually ended up writing a chapter a week. There were a couple of weeks where I did two chapters and actually finished it a month early. I was done by the end of August. And then I said, all right, I'm going to take the, and, and they needed the manuscript by the end of September. I said, all right, I'm going to take September just to, you know, sit there, look at it, think about it, make sure I'm not missing anything. Don't know why it took me an extra two weeks <laughs> to realize that I was, was actually missing something, but uh, yeah, yeah, it was a, uh, it was pretty crazy. Um, you know, I had a book coach um, advantage Forbes signed me up with a book coach and she was awesome. And she helped to keep me, you know, held me accountable. Cause I met with her once a week too. And she was ready to review the next chapter by the next week. So Excellent. That's just, uh, it, it amazes me. Um, but of course, as you said, it was built on something that you had created over a number of years. That's right. And, yeah. And so uh, it might've been a little, uh, you know, uh, made you feel good to be able to put it down in writing and, exactly. and, and talk about it. So you mentioned one of the principles in, a, in our earlier discussion, share with our listeners, maybe one or two others that you think are pertinent to whet their appetite and get them to uh, pick up this book and use it as a guide, just like your first book was. Yeah, of course. Um, and, and the interesting thing about this book is really that it's, it, I wrote it to really inspire leaders to think differently about culture and about mm. a customer centric culture. So the first principle, I'll mention that one, culture is the foundation. And it seems weird that you have to make that a principle because that's what this is all about. Right. But <laughs> I think, I think people think that culture is just this fluffy, squishy thing, right? And so we have to, and it, don't know that it has to be deliberately designed to be the way that you need or want it to be. Because there's this saying out there that something along the lines of you get the culture you design or the one you allow, right? So if you get the one you allow, it may not be what you're, what you're hoping for. So we have to deliberately design it, especially a customer centric culture. We have to deliberately design that. Um, I think another one might be, um, hmm, I'll go with the last one. I think the last one is a good one. And it is about the platinum rule that the platinum rule rules. Um, Forget about the golden rule. I know it's been around since biblical days, but it's the platinum rule. Let's uh, treat others the way they want to be treated rather than treating them the way that we want to be treated. Hmm, Excellent. I like that the, uh, a new a new um, type of metal, so to speak, yes. uh, jewel uh, t- to live by with our rules. Um, you, you want to hear a funny story about that? I actually didn't know that there was a person that like there's there's a registered trademark. The platinum rule has a registered trademark to it, and I actually did not know who that person was, and I found out about him last fall, I think it was, or maybe last summer. And now I'm actually going to, he lives down in the San Diego area. So now I'm actually going to meet him for lunch in about six weeks. So yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. Oh my gosh. So, so that's interesting as well. The things you discover when you're researching the book, right? (laughs) That you don't anticipate. Exactly. (laughs) That's, that's really good. Um, uh, So this releases in March and um, 
uh, readers, I'm sure, will want to will want to pick it up and take a look at it. Uh, Annette, now that now that you've got that um, down and you've got the next uh, book uh, in the in in the book, so to speak, what what are your thoughts on where we're headed from an experience standpoint? Uh, is obviously some of what you talked about in your book where we're headed. Um, is there, are there new things on the horizon that our listeners should be aware of? What are your kind of your, if you had a crystal ball, what are you seeing? Yeah. So I'll just, I'll just say before the crystal ball, I'll just say that there are way too many companies who don't have the basics down and get the basics right, you know? And so the crystal ball for them is, is either, it's a shiny object for them to focus on, or it's a, it's overwhelming because <laughs> how do I get there? Right. You know, and I, I just think that, you know, crystal ballish, you know, I think a lot of this stuff is already happening, but I do think it's going to be more AI, more automation, more personalization, the desire for more personalization, more, more of those kinds of things that, you know, I, I, you know, it's, it's kind of like the, I don't even know which sci-fi movie to make, draw the analogy to, but it's really that Star Trek, Star Wars, futuristic, like the things that we always thought about, my gosh, that's like so far off that we're never going to ever see that in our lifetimes are actually coming to fruition. You know, you see some of these uh, holographic, you know, um, keyboards and different ways to, you know, search and and do those. It's it's just, it's, it's incredible. So I think that's going to be obviously the AI and the automation and the all of that technology is going to be a huge part of it. But the one thing that I always remind people is that, you know, that's, you know, technology is a tool that helps us to, you know, facilitate, create the experience, but it is not the experience itself. The experience I believe is still very much human. And I think going forward, it's still going to be very much human. I don't think that um, we will ever take the human out of the equation. I know when we talk about AI and automation, we always think, oh gosh, employees are going to lose their jobs. And a lot of that right now is about, you know, streamlining processes and just taking some of that menial, repetitive work off of employees so that they can focus on the customer so that they can spend more time in the value add and, and building relationships. So I, I think that that's going to be a long time in the works, right? That there will, the human piece will always be a part of, uh, of the experience. It has to be, it just has to be. Well, and I think I agree a hundred percent. And I, and I think your point about back to the basics is, is really spot on. I, I'm, I'm amazed every day on e-commerce platforms about how companies still don't have it right. Yeah. And yeah. it just, you know, when you think about technology, I mean, uh, you know, the World Wide web is what, 30 years ago. And so we're like, what? We're what? <laughs> still can't get it right. I mean, the website's broken. The promo code doesn't work. The it's, you know, you don't have stock updates. I mean, the list goes on yeah. and on. Yeah. And so I think your point about back to basics is a good one. I like your, I like your thoughts about the human component as well, because, um, you know, AI is, is big right now and we're reading a lot about it, but do you sense that that maybe as a result of the pandemic, that that consumers really want that human touch. They might have been tolerating it in, you know, the the AI and so forth. But are we are we going back to that? Do you think? 
You know, it's interesting. It's, it's a question that runs through my mind a lot because I think about this whole notion of contactless and how all of a sudden, you know, curbside pickup and delivery and all of these things became so much a part of our lives over the last two years. But at the same time, we missed that social, that human aspect of it. I think the, I think this instant gratification, this, oh, I don't need to, I don't need to go to the store. It comes to me, or I don't have to go inside. I just have to pull up and they'll put it in my trunk. You know, those kinds of things. I think that's here to stay quite honestly. It is for me mm-hmm, right? <laughs> and, and not, and purely for the convenience, because, you know, when you have a, you know, you run your own business, you have a crazy schedule. It's like, gosh, I can just run out and have my stuff in 10 minutes and be back and back at my desk, which is a sad way of living. Yes, but, (laughs) (laughs) but it's, but it's so convenient. So I don't think that's going to go away. Um, But there is that balance, right? Because people are craving more of that social and that human interaction. And especially if more and more people are working from home and and all that. But I, I think if you, if you want that or need that, there are other ways to, to get that. And I do think the, the, that, that convenience factor of the, of the, I'll just call it instant gratification is here today. Yeah. Wow. I can't believe how fast our time goes. Uh, Listeners, uh, this has been a conversation with Annette Franz and her latest book, Built to Win. Annette, we close all of our podcasts with the same question. What words of wisdom would you like to share with our listeners? Wow. There are so many. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say, I'm just going to say, get started. If you're not doing some of these things, um, get started. It's so true. There are so many companies that just don't even have the basics, right? And, you know, there are a ton of resources out there to figure out what that means to get started. Um, so, so really, and educate yourself. I think that's the big thing too. And and we know coming out of the CXPA that there's great resources there for people to educate themselves, but there's so many other resources out there for people to educate themselves, to really get, to understand what does it mean? What does customer experience mean? What does it mean to be customer centric and what does that entail? You know, and I think, I think a lot of people will find out that it's more than you think it is. But at the same time, it's also just a necessity. I get people who, who say, ah, I don't have, we don't have the resources. We don't have, you know, what we need to, to, to improve the experience or to become customer centric. And I always say, you know what, it's not about more work, more effort, more anything. It's really about doing things better and doing them more efficiently, which should balance the, the negative that you're thinking about, right? It's really about doing it more efficiently and more effectively for your customers rather than whoever, whoever you think you're doing it for. Right. So, mm-hmm. so that's, that's, that's what I'm thinking. I asked that question because there's always gems that occur from our guests and, <laughs> and there's another set of gems for sure. So uh, Annette, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. I always love talking to you, Bob. So thank you. You bet. And listeners, this has been another episode of the All Things Considered CX podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your networks. And as always, stay tuned for more of our podcast, as well as the entire CXFM radio podcast network. Thanks for listening to this episode of All Things Considered CX. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your colleagues. Subscribe to our show, follow me on LinkedIn, and visit my website at InnovativeCX.com for more insights on creating better experiences. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. 
Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.